And that's the bottom line Because Stone Cold sets up Inspired by the adventures of our nurses, therapists, and techs, A Beer with Atlas is the only healthcare-traveling, craft-beer-drinking podcast. Each week, we'll open a few beers, talk about the brewery and the style of beer, and then dive into some research curated specifically for each episode. In the end, we hope each one sounds like a conversation you'd have with your friends while enjoying a few cold ones. Welcome to another episode of A Beer with Atlas. I'm Rich. I'm Brian. I'm Dolan. And uh, courtesy of a couple of travelers down in Texas, uh, I, I got two beers this week and next week. Uh, two beers from them that we have been looking for for a while. One of them I know Dolan is very excited about, and that would be this week's uh, from El Segundo Brewing Company, Steve Austin's Broken Skull IPA. As I started doing my research here, so Steve Austin, obviously, Stone Cold Steve Austin of wrestling fame. Yes. I, I had two problems until I started doing my research. One, I thought, what's a California brewery doing making a beer for a dude in Texas? That who is like Texas through and through. And then two, what what's a guy like Steve Austin who has been a domestic light beer guy his entire life? If you're familiar with him at all in in ring persona, he just, he smashes the beers together and then he, uh, and he drinks them and then he throws them and then he gets two more and he drinks them. Right. So he'll go through six to eight, to 12 beers per after each match. Right. He's not, he's not doing that with an IPA. He's doing that with like Coors Light or Budweiser or, you know, or whatever. Were those the officially sponsored beers of wrestling? Maybe, maybe I think it's I, I think it's all just like oh yeah, what is the the, the auditorium? I'm the working man, working man's beer. Uh, <laughs> there was one time in he was they were in uh, they were at the Pepsi Center in Denver, and so Denver very Coors based, right? I mean, lots yeah. of Coors. He drove a Coors Light beer truck to ringside, pulled a fire hose out and sprayed down Vince McMahon and The Rock, and I can't remember who else, with a fire hose of beer. Wait a minute! Ah, no cold! It's beer! No cold with a beer bath! Ah, a beer bath on the corporation! Yeah! No cold! Corporation! A beer bath! You gotta be kidding me! Every time for Austin! Excellent. Yes. So that's so. What's a dude like Steve Austin doing making an IPA now? I suppose we should probably drink the IPA first and try it. It's very mild. Dolan's going out of the can. Yeah, that's fine. An homage to Steve Austin, huh? <laughs> yep. There you go. Smells good. Hmm? Tastes good. It's mm. light. Oh. It's it. You know, for an IPA. It's light, I think. You know, I think Steve Austin could drink this. <laughs> so, 
I got in, I got into a little bit of research on that. So we'll, I'll hit the brewery real quick. So El Segundo Brewing Company is located at 140 Main Street, El Segundo, California. Uh, this, this guy started, let's see, what's his name? Rob Croxall. Uh, his business card actually says his, his name is El Jefe. That's what his That's business the card. boss, the boss. He's the boss. Uh, it, I couldn't find a founded date probably about 10 years ago. It says, you know, I, I think of about 10 years ago, uh, he met, so Steve Austin met Rob Croxall about, let's see, five ish years ago through a friend of a friend. So whatever Steve Austin's in Austin's in California meets him through a friend of a friend. By this time, Austin has given up drinking like domestic beers. They don't have any good, they don't have flavor for him anymore. So he's drinking IPAs and he's an IPA guy now. If you go and there's, there's a ton of articles out there about how he and this Rob guy came up with, you know, this beer and, and whatever. And here's an actual quote. This is awesome. This is an actual quote from uh, one of those articles. Steve Austin says, Man, I just, so I asked him, like, why, why beer? Why are you doing this? And he said, man, I just wanted a badass beer. I can't even do it in his voice, so I'll just read it in my voice. I just wanted a badass beer. I've been drinking light beer for 30 years, and then I started hearing about all these craft beers. So I was like, what the fuck is this all about? So I started <laughs> to try them all. That's Steve I, Austin, right? I guarantee we've had more than Steve Austin. Oh, I probably have. Yeah. <clears throat> well, I can tell you, um, I know nothing about Steve Austin. Okay. I've never seen him wrestle. The only time I've ever seen him do anything was on Hot Ones. Mm. And he talked about this beer. That was the first time I've seen this beer. Okay. The first time I saw it in person, I think I sent a picture to you guys when I was in Texas this year yep. earlier. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't bring it back because I only had carry-ons. So... I'm glad that we can finally get to it. Um, as far as that brewery stuff goes, um, I did a little research on it too. The hops are Citra, Cascade, and Chinook in this IPA, which is pretty, not old school per se. It's not West Coast exactly, but those are hops that have been around for a long time. I thought it was weird. You can order beer to go because in California, everything's like shut down still. Mm -hmm. So you can't just walk in there really. Um, but if you want to get a crowler, you have to call and then you have to wait a day and then it's, they'll make it for you. It's ready the next day. So it's like a 24 hour crowler wait, which seems crazy to me. Yeah. Uh, you have to know ahead of time that you want to get toasted, I guess. Um, some of the other beers that they have there, they make a lot of different kinds of stuff. Um, they have barrel aged beers. They have IPAs, barley wine, stouts. Um, they have two pale ales, six IPAs and two dippas or doubles or imperial ipas um and the average crowler price was nine bucks which is ridiculous that's like probably what i would think a pint of beer would cost in california yeah but yeah, yeah crowlers are nine dollars their other big seller besides this one this is obviously their like i don't know if it's their flagship beer but it's the one everybody knows them from they have another one that's an ipa it's called mayberry and that's like straight up andy griffith i don't know why but that's there weird they're in the Los Angeles County Brewers Guild. Something like, I tried to find out how many breweries were in Los Angeles County. It was like over 300 something. I couldn't find a total number, but that's for, in just the county, Los Angeles County, but that's a huge county too. Um, a little bit more El Segundo 
reference information for us, it means the second. And it's because they have the second oil refinery on the West Coast. So that was an oil town founded there. The first one was up in Washington, I believe. Uh, one of the big companies there when the city was kind of founded, it was like in the early 1900s when people started living there. Um, the Douglas Aircraft Company, they made bombers for World War II. So a lot of their airplanes were used in the Battle of the Midway, which I think there was just a recent movie about that. Hmm. And then there's some, um, it's close to LA, like in Hollywood. So it's been in a bunch of um, TV and movies. That's this town itself. Uh, the main one, probably everybody's favorite movie to be filmed in El Segundo is Dude, Where's My Car? Mm. And quite a bit of CSI Miami, strangely enough, was shot in El Segundo. What? And then I wrote down the four most famous people from this area. So it's, you know, technically in L.A. County, it's close to Los Angeles, but because of the area of the county itself, it's, you know, still, it's really big. Um, Roseanne is from here. Uh, Paul Westfall, basketball, I think Hall of Famer. He was a coach for Phoenix Suns in their 90s run. He played basketball before that. Uh, surf guitar, know about that, Dolan? Well, Dick Dale, he's like the, the father of surf guitar. If you are familiar with the movie Pulp Fiction, the theme, the theme song to Pulp Fiction, when they're running the credits at the very beginning, is Dick Dale. If you continue to grow your hair, like we talked about before, you can have a Dick Dale ponytail because he's got a really long white ponytail. That's about all he's got left. Uh, and finally, most famous to me is George Brett. Third baseman, Hall of Famer, Kansas City Royals from El Segundo. He's a Californian? Oh, yeah. And his brother was a, I think, well, he had another brother that was a pitcher. And he, I think he had another brother that played NFL football. So oh. he wasn't even like the best athlete of the family. They say uh, his, his older brother that, played, that was a pitcher was the best Brett athlete. Huh. So there you go. El Segundo facts. You learn something new every time, I guess. I, I'm a big fan of uh, Dick Dale. That, that is, I love that music. And my dad, my dad loved that music. So it's just fun. It's just good guitar. That, yeah, it's just fun. I uh, think he comes to Omaha at least once a year. At least he did pre-corona. I don't even know if he's still alive, honestly. I don't know. That's a good question. But I used to see him uh, shows like at the waiting room. T tickets for that all the time. <laughs> Once, maybe twice a year. Can I say something moderately controversial? Oh, please. I like, I believe he's a better guitar player than Santana. Yeah, I'll go with you. Okay. Uh, you know, there's a lot of guitar players that I think are better than Santana. So I only compare the two because they similar-ish styles, right? They kind of, ish. They're adjacent. I think you're right, Dolan. There's there's a lot of guitar players that are probably better than both of them. Right. But. Well, the only reason I say that is Santana, I believe it was Santana, correct me if I'm wrong, Brian, but okay. Santana used to bring out his guitar tech like midway through the show and be like, you think I'm good? Like, check out the guy. This guy? Guitar. Yeah. So he comes hmm. out and he, he plays one or two songs of whatever 
and just shreds like 10 times better than Santana. And he's like, I don't know why I'm the famous one. This guy's, he's got chops. Mm. <laughs> I think it's weird about Santana is he's famous, but yet never sings. Yeah. So mm-hmm. all of his songs that were popular is other vocalists that are on them, which I don't know. It's, I guess it's kind of like Eddie Van Halen, but he had his own band, obviously. And Santana's, I guess, known more of a solo guy, but never sings songs. Yeah. You know what I find terribly ironic about Eddie Van Halen? Like, arguably their best, Van Halen's best album was 1984, right? Yeah. He, he played keyboard most of the time. Hmm. Hmm. That's weird. Right? I, now, I know from previous episodes that he played, he played guitar on a number of other people's music. Michael Jackson, for example. Yeah. Right? And so that's arguably a good guitar player, a great guitar player, but then yeah. on their, on what you could argue as the best Van Halen album of all time, he played the keyboards. Wow. So I don't know. Eddie don't Van Halen, RIP. There we go. All right. You want some Steve Austin wrestling career knowledge? Yeah. I, I don't have any. So I know Dolan wants to talk about our favorite wrestlers and I want to talk about that, but let's go through where Steve Austin got his start, how he kind of, and kind of how he grew and then kind of how his career trailed off and now what he's doing now with like reality TV and stuff like that. Let, let me tell you the two things I think I know about him. Mm-hmm. He had like some sort of Bible reference on his t-shirt. Yes. And I think he wore jean shorts. Uh, he did wear a lot of jean shorts. Okay. Yeah. That's shorts. all I know about him. There you go. All right. So ni- or late 1980s, late 1980s. Uh, Steve Austin got his start at the Chris Adams School in the Dallas Sportatorium. I don't even know, I don't even know what a sportatorium is, but that's where the Chris Adams School was. Uh, Chris Adams was part of World Class Championship Wrestling. So this was kind of this was after Vince had already kind of made WWF famous, right? I mean, this is coming out of the heels of of you know the Hulk Hogan and the Macho Man and, you know, all that stuff that we remember when we were kids. So there were little, these little small ones that would kind of groom wrestlers to become WWF wrestlers later. Uh, his first match with world-class championship wrestling was against a guy named Frogman LeBlanc. <laughs> I, <laughs> I, I love it. I, so he was like a French scuba diver maybe character and correct me if i'm wrong but stone cold still had hair Mm -hmm. yeah so weird uh, he he shaves it after we'll get to that we'll get to that because he he was a pretty boy and that was his character for the longest time uh he after the first couple of matches they added the so he was born steve james anderson uh, he was given the name Steve Austin, and shortly after a couple of these matches, they added the stunning part to it. So, right, obviously his his finishing move, the Stone Cold Stunner, that they added, it was stunning Steve Austin for a long time. 1991, he joins World Championship Wrestling, so WCW, right, the the TNN, or I'm sorry, TNT, uh, Eric Bischoff, New World Order, you know, those those guys. He won, so this is 91, so it was still early in, in WCW days. He won the World Television Championship belt, which is probably one of the lowest belts you could possibly win, uh, early, but then he lost it to Ricky Steamboat. 
So Ricky the Dragon's still around. He's just I know that guy. Yeah. He's wrestling in WCW at the time. Uh, 1993, he joins Brian Pillman, and he forms a tag team called the Hollywood Blondes. <laughs> so pretty boys, right? Uh, they won the tag team belts quickly. At Clash of the Champions 23, they wrestled Ric Flair and Arn Anderson. So two of the four horsemen uh, at the time. I mean, anytime you get to wrestle Ric Flair, you've kind of made it, I would think. Like at that point in your career, you would think, I'm wrestling Ric Flair at a pay-per-view. You've made it. That's, you're, you're a professional wrestler now for the rest of your life. So, um, 1993, later on in 1993, he won the U.S. Heavyweight Championship, lost it to Ricky Steamboat, then won it back, and then lost it to Hacksaw Jim Duggan. So, if you remember Hacksaw. Oh! Exactly, yeah. I remember him. That was, that was shortly after, like, Hacksaw had stomach cancer and then went and did chemo and then came back and still and kept wrestling. Like, mm. He beat stomach cancer. I, 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 that dude's tough. Yeah. Right? Wow. Uh, 1995, tricep injury, uh, and then he gets his, has his first knee injury and uh, was fired from WCW by Eric Bischoff. So if you the name Eric Bischoff sounds familiar, the guy that kind of brought the New World Order, Hulk Hogan – the Outsiders, Kevin Nash, and 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 uh, and I can't think of the other guy's name. Uh, Razor Ramon, whatever mm-hmm. it was. There we go. Uh, Bischoff said Bischoff fired him over the phone and said that he wasn't a marketable wrestler. Oops. <laughs> Bischoff made a lot of good moves. This might not one of his been one of his best. Uh, so Paul Heyman of ECW calls him, finds out that, you know, Hey, you got fired. So Paul Heyman calls him, uh, Austin comes over and is still injured. So he's doing like in ring stuff, just not wrestling, just like, just talking shit in the ring and stuff, uh, as superstar, Steve Austin, they can't use the stunning anymore. So he changes it to superstar, uh, 1995, he's hired by Vince McMahon and he starts wrestling under the name, the ringmaster. I don't. I, I don't know what genius. Like a circus. I, oh yeah. boy! Still oh, has boy. hair at the time. Uh, Nineteen ninety-six, and this is where it all starts for him. This is where we get the the Stone Cold Steve Austin shaved head, jorts, you know, all that. Austin three sixteen. Nineteen ninety-six, King of the Ring. Uh, he defeats Jake the Snake Roberts, who's still wrestling, by the way, at ninety-six, which I think is crazy. Uh, who was playing the character at the time of like a born again Christian, which is kind of weird. Jake the Snake was? Yeah, yeah. So in a promo, after he wins King of the Ring, he says this. He actually says this, and I, I clipped this out, to about Jake the Snake. You sit there and you thump your Bible and you say your prayers, and it didn't get you anywhere. Talk about your Psalms. Talk about John 3.16. Austin 3.16 says, I just whooped your ass. There's where Austin King comes from. Yeah. And it's stuck. And I read a thing. There's conflicting information. Someone, someone said that someone wrote that for him. Like it was written for the writer. The writers actually wrote that for him. The other is Austin just shooting and just saying it. I tend to believe he just said it. Like that was just a thing that he said. Yeah. He seems fairly intelligent when I've heard him. At least I, when I saw him that one episode of the the interview show he was on with the Hot Wings, yep, seemed pretty smart. 
Yeah, he's a smart dude. Uh, 97, the rivalry with Vince McMahon starts, which, yes. which you could say really, really launches him into superstardom, like Hulk Hogan level, like stardom in wrestling. Right? I don't know Hulk Hogan, Macho Man Randy Savage, uh, The Undertaker, Steve Austin. I, I think he ranks right up there with all of them. Uh, 98, he wrestled, he eliminates The Rock in the Royal Rumble. Uh, wins the Royal Rumble by eliminating The Rock. Uh, WrestleMania 14, he wins his first heavyweight title. Uh, defeats Shawn Michaels by, uh, with some help from special referee Mike Tyson, who they, uh, D-Generation X. So, you know, the, you know the, that group brings in Mike Tyson to be the special referee in, in this match. And uh, Tyson pulls a double cross and punches Shawn Michaels and uh, Austin, gets the, Austin gets the win and, and wins the belt for the first time. Uh, and then there is a huge, like years long, like at least three-ish, four. This would be the time that Dolan remembers really well. This is the, the feud between Austin and McMahon uh, that really defined what they call the Attitude Era in WWE history. So after Raw is, there was Raw's War and then War Zone. I think they would name the two, there was, it was two hours long. You remember that, Dolan? Yep, I remember that. Well, I don't remember it like as it was happening these are all tapes that i would go and rent and put in my vcr and <laughs> yeah um i mean i followed stone cold and the rock i think is still one of my favorite rivals and then they were friends <laughs> at one point there was a weird kind of thing at the end where so 2000 he has neck surgery and comes back and his character changes a little bit where he almost becomes where the rock is the bad guy and Austin's the good guy. Yep. And Austin's like sucking up to McMahon and bringing him gifts and just weird. It's just weird. After all of those years, there was the one, I, I remember the one episode where Vince McMahon is in a hospital bed for some reason. Like he's in the, he's in the hospital and I don't recall why. And Austin sneaks in as like a nurse or something. <laughs> and McMahon, McMahon freaks out. He's like, oh no, or whatever. And Austin picks up his picks up Vince's bedpan and wham and hits hits McMahon in the head with his bedpan while he's laying in his hospital bed. And that makes me laugh to this day. Mm, I like that. So that's I mean, just weird kind of stuff that you would not see on TV now. There was there was one time where Austin drug, uh, dragged Vince McMahon down to ringside at gunpoint. Oh yeah, you don't, you couldn't do that now. No, he had a weapon. He had a gun, <laughs> and Austin and, and McMahon is in the middle of the ring on his knees, and Austin's gonna execute him, and and Vince pisses his pants, like he he visibly pees his pants. Yeah, and. and and then he pulls the trigger and there's like the little thing comes out and it says bang three six. Yeah, like a joker gun. Yes. <laughs> it happened on TV. They did a they did I mean, and that went on for years. Like I don't think that those storylines um ended until 
what what's the channel that WWE was on for a long time? TNT? T- uh, USA. USA. That's it, yeah, USA. It was one of those channels that came back and they're like, okay, we need to follow some guidelines now. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, yeah, we can't do things like this anymore. So yeah. I remember storylines like uh, Edge, if you remember, the Edge and Kane rival they had a rival and um edge like at the time kane was dating lita yes and then they had a whole scene where edge and lita were apparently like doing it in the ring (laughs) they had they had the blankets over them or whatever and then like kane comes out of nowhere and i just remember watching that as a kid and being like oh my gosh, like, oh, like every time there's a sex scene in any movie and your parents are in the room, like, oh, what? <laughs> uh, <laughs> what's going yeah. on? Um, yeah, and then I remember there there was even one where they stuck Vince McMahon in a truck and then blew the truck up. Yes. And then everybody thought, like, he was dead or whatever for, yeah. And then they, and then they had a memorial service for him. Yes. Um, do you remember the time that, was it Vince? They, it might've been Austin. I can't remember. They actually put him on, you know how the Undertaker's logo kind of looks like a cross? Yeah. They had like a giant size cross and they crucified (laughs) one of, and then like, and like had him up by the Jumbotron, like the Titantron. I think it was, um, uh, Shane, was it Shane McMahon that got crucified? Yeah, it might have been Shane. Yeah, uh, they did some crazy stuff. Like you, so when when did they actually wrestle? Uh, you know, they wrestled like two matches an hour. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, it was actually it was actually um, Undertaker himself was crucified. Oh, yeah, man, that's yeah. They, they, did, they did some weird. Some weird stuff. <laughs> but here's the thing, like, you can't argue with ratings and you can't argue with popularity. And well, there, there was nothing more popular at the time in that late, late 90s time. Early than 2000s, yeah. yeah. I was trying to figure out why I didn't watch it, and then I realized because I was 21 years old. <laughs> so I was out doing other stuff. I it. <laughs> but so, yeah. About 2002, it kind of the beginning of the end starts. Um, w, w, WWE purchases WCW. I remember that. I remember it happening live. I watched it live. Um, this was like shortly after my Ameritrade days, and this was early internet too. Like this is still like message boards internet. And I just remember being at Ameritrade that day, and like the wrestling message boards, like ProWrestling.com or whatever, just lit up. Like, Shay McMahon is going to be on WCW tonight, and it's over. They sold. I remember when all this happened. Uh, so they start integrating talent from WCW into WWE. That This obviously pisses off Austin. Uh, there were disagreements about who he should wrestle and how those matches should end at WrestleMania X8. They couldn't just call it 18. They called it X8. Because that was edgy and cool, I guess. <laughs> uh, he was supposed to wrestle Hogan, but then they couldn't decide who was going to lose. Neither of them wanted to lose. And they weren't going to wrestle to a draw or disqualification because that would have just been bullshit. So 
uh, they couldn't decide. So then 2004 contract disputes, uh, he ends up leaving his full-time gig with, with WWE. And then it comes back on a part-time basis for, you know, here and there along the way. And he shows up in Piper's pit in like 2006 and, uh, has a, has a small few with Chris Jericho for a while when Jericho comes over it, but it really never went anywhere. And that was, that was kind of it for his, for his wrestling career. Plus his neck was shot. His knees were shot. He couldn't wrestle anyway. Yeah. He, he did a lot of those like the rock does now. Um, just shows up randomly at WrestleManias or, you know, or maybe he shows up at a Royal Rumble and then he gets eliminated. Yeah. Just, just different things. But yeah, I have a list of top 10 stone cold matches that, that we can go through. All right. And obviously, we've we kind of already talked about this one, but the Vince McMahon at In Your House St. Valentine's Massacre, 1999. <laughs> I remember this. Um, but it was it was a steel cage match, bloody Vince, and Paul White, the debut of Paul White, the Big Show. The Big Show, yep. So um, he wins the match. Uh, but then, you know, Big Show comes to Vince's, Vince's rescue and, and throws Stone Cold out of the, out of the cage. Um, a year before, 1998, The Undertaker, Stone Cold at SummerSlam, um, where Undertaker loses and then respectfully hands his title over to Stone Cold, which is really cool. It's one of those, uh, one of those, uh, what do they call that in, in wrestling? They, they would, they like Hogan did it to, uh, uh, ultimate warrior, ultimate warrior did it to the undertaker. Like, it's just kind of like, okay, you're the man now kind of thing. Like handing over the torch, huh? Yes. Yep. Yep. That was uh Madison square garden. So mm. WWE, WWF has a lot of history there. Yep. Um, Bret Hart at survivor series, 1996. <laughs> Um, Bret Hart beats Stone Cold. Um, Is this the one time. where he passes out from blood loss? <laughs> no, no, that's not the one. Oh. But it is the one where um, Stone Cold is adamant on getting the title for the first time. But Bret Hart beats him, goes and wins the title. And uh, yeah. So okay. then and, um, Mick Foley, when Mick Foley was Dude Love <laughs> <laughs> in 1998, he beat him. Um, but he gets uh, he gets uh, help from Vince McMahon himself because Vince McMahon is the special referee in this match. Ah, yeah. So 1998. This must have been um, right before their feud. Yes, I bet you there was some sort of double cross somewhere in there. Uh, 2001. He loses to Kurt Angle at SummerSlam by disqualification. This is top six. Um, yeah, everybody seems to forget about that match. That's literally what it says in the description of this match. <laughs> so, Kurt uh, Angle was moderately forgettable anyway. Yeah, he was, but he was still legend status, I think. He's still one of those wrestlers that everybody remembers. Um, but 
they never really remember what he did. And he was always, yeah, I mean, he won a couple titles and he was always a prick, just a prick. Right. Um, they say that's how he is in real life, though, too. So it worked out. <laughs> uh, he, this is the one where I believe he passed out with blood loss. It was Triple H in 2001, and they wrestled in the three stages of hell. Mm. And it was so the first um, was a regular match. The first stage was a regular match, and it was uh, first fall. And it was best two out of three, obviously. Um, and then the second stage was a street fight. <laughs> so they had all the weapons. And then the third stage, of course, one, 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 and, and Stone Cold won the other. So that way they could do the, the third stage. And the third stage was a cage match. And that was when barbed wire wrapped around a two by four was introduced. <laughs> and there was so much blood from both of them that there's actually pictures. If you Google Stone Cold Steve Austin, one of the top 10 pictures in the Google search is him like this. And he's just got blood in his teeth and all down his chin. That's from, that's from that match. <laughs> um when he versus The Rock in 2003, so this is his very last match, um, he loses to The Rock. Um, it was kind of the end of their feud, just the very end of their feud. Um, that was when Stone Cold was the good guy, and he lost. Um, and then in 1998, when he beat Shawn Michaels, that was the Mike Tyson match we've talked about. Mm -hmm. um, and then number two, he loses to... Uh, Brett the Hitman Hart at WrestleMania. Um, that's the I Quit match. Uh, yeah, I remember this. There was a lot of blood in that one, too. Stone Cold, again, just bloody. It, it helped that he was bald because it just, yeah. you saw everything. This is the one where it's, it's a pretty iconic image, too. Where So, Bret Hart's finishing move was the, was the, uh, the not the, the what's it called the Boston Crab is that what or is that or it, what? it's yeah it's the uh, uh yeah where he's got his legs in but he's yeah. bending him yeah um, Boston Crab oh. yeah but it's called something else it's, it's like called the, something else they called it I mean, it was called the Boston Crab when they did it but it was called something else so he's got him and Austin's on the he, it's the picture like from the, yeah from the ring looking up so you see the backside and he's just covered in blood yeah. And they always, after a while, they would only show it in black and white on TV. Yep, yep. And that has a lot to do with the channels coming in and saying, hey, no more blood. WWE yeah. is completely bloodless now, um, which is no fun because the Attitude Era just mm -hmm. blood. Like yeah. Mick Foley in his prime, like being thrown off 10, 10 foot steel cages into the tables, breaking mm -hmm. bones and still finishing the match. Steve Blackman and Shane McMahon jumping from the Jumbotron, mm. um, breaking limbs, but they still finish the match. Just crazy stuff. Yeah. Uh, and then the number one, according to Bleacher Report, the number one most best match by Stone Cold was 1996, King of the Ring, winning against Jake the Snake. Mm -hmm. uh, but that's because that's where 316 comes from, and that's where – uh, Stone Cold comes into fruition. Kind of born where that character was born. Yeah. 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 Talk about your Psalms. Talk about John 316. 
Austin 316 says I just whipped your ass. Come on, that's not necessary. All he's got to do is go buy him a cheap bottle of Thunderbird and try to dig back some of that courage he had in his prime. As the king of the ring, I'm serving notice to every one of the WWF superstars. I don't give a damn what they are. They're all on the list, and that's Stone Cold's list, and I'm fixing to start running through all of them. As far as this championship match is considered, son, I don't give a damn if it's Davey Boy Smith or Shawn Michaels. Steve Austin's time has come. And when I get the shot, you're looking at the next WWF champion. And that's the bottom line, because Stone Cold said so. Stone Cold is one of those guys where I just happened to catch, like, right after him. And so there was just all of that history I've missed. So I'd go back and, and I watched all that. And then it got me into WCW and, and whatnot. But um, who is your favorite wrestler? This is an easy, I'll go last. This is an easy one for me. Don't, I want to know who's your favorite wrestler? My favorite wrestler of all time, and you're going to laugh at this, HBK, Shawn Michaels, Mr. <laughs> WrestleMania himself. <laughs> I love Shawn Michaels. The, yeah. Shawn Michaels was a fantastic wrestler. His, his finishing move was great. He just, he, the, yeah, he was great. He had great entry, the, his walking music, like his entry music yep. was awesome. I think I'm cute. I know I'm sexy. I've got the looks. The drives are cool while I've got the mood. Mm -hmm. uh, my favorite thing about Shawn Michaels is he rarely played the bad guy. He was the bad guy in a couple times, but rarely played the bad guy. He was likable. He was a mix between um, like on the ground wrestler, but he also could do some high flying stuff. And how do you how do you feel about the Montreal screw screw job? Do do you think he knew? There's a lot of evidence that shows that he does, mm -hmm. and I believe that Shawn Michaels comes out and talks about how he knew um way later like after Shawn michaels retirement after Shawn michaels and bret hart kind of make up um and i don't think that that even happened until after the whole chris benoit thing mm -hmm. it brought a lot of wrestlers together um yeah. a lot of people that didn't like each other you know kind of reconnected yeah. and i think that around that time you know Shawn michaels kind of came out and said you know it was a him or me thing and Vince McMahon really like laid that out mm -hmm. and said, yeah, you know, we got to kind of push Brett Hart out. <laughs> and well, the rumor was Brett was leaving for WCW anyway. And he wasn't, Vince did not want to, because think about it at the time, they were like two top competing just juggernauts for, for ratings. And yep. Brett had taken the WWE title belt to WCW and pissed on it. Like all the rumors said he was going to do, that would have been devastating. Vince would, could not have allowed that to happen. No, no. And the thing that Shawn Michaels talks about this is he was on a lot of drugs at the time. 
and a lot of them were like that whole era was just steroids and cocaine like Mm. (laughs) all those wrestlers were messed up i mean the pain that they had just day in day out like they were doing anything that they could to numb the pain and that was a lot of drugs and so Shawn michaels talks about like you know how he just did not care at the time and and had realized you know maybe afterwards like wow that was a shitty thing you know i didn't realize how shitty that was Mm -hmm. um but yeah i don't know i don't know how i feel about that I, i feel like it's it's just what happened and it was the name of the business and vince mcmahon is kind of a uh not a lot of people like him after they work for him you can't you can't deny what vince did and what he continues to do right however you don't always make the best decisions as a business owner and this might have been one of his more poorly thought out decisions yes yes 100 percent. so with that said i have top 25 superstars of WrestleMania of all time. Ooh. All right. Hang on. Let's, we'll give our favorite. Brian, do you have a favorite? Yeah. Do you have a favorite? Boy, this is, this is tough. <laughs> uh, my first favorite ever was Junkyard Dog. Mm. And then when the cartoon came out, and I could see in the music videos that Hulk could play the guitar, he probably can't, but he did in the video. I became a Hulk Hogan fanatic. And that's where my knowledge stops, about 1990. So I don't, anybody after that, I maybe have heard of them. Mine, mine is easy. I've, I loved him from the day that I turned it on for the first time. And it, he was the anti-hero that this should surprise no one because this is this is me at my core through and through. M- my favorite wrestler of all time was Rowdy Roddy Piper. Yeah. Yeah. That should not surprise anyone. He was crazy. He did what he wanted. He did, it was just, he was dirt. Oh, I have a kilt. I have one. I've dressed <laughs> up as Piper for, for Halloween multiple times. He, he was, oh, it was devastating when he passed away. Um, he's one of only three actual people, like living people that are GI Joes. Yep. Rowdy Rowdy Piper is a GI Joe. Mm. Um, yeah, he, I, by far, by far, he better show up on this top twenty-five list because he—he's he, one of the greatest of all time. I would say he's—he's he's top five all time. I would make it. I could make an argument all time. <laughs> this is this is superstars of WrestleMania. So okay. all right. So there is a little bit of a a a, a direction here. Okay. But before I go into that, now that we've named our favorite superstars, Rich, I really want to know who your favorite tag team and who your favorite faction is okay um i i was always i was always like a four horseman guy i was a wcw guy before i was 
WWE. So I really like the Four Horsemen, Ric Flair, and, and those guys. When they added Mo- added Mongo McMichael from the uh, Chicago Bears, that was fun. <laughs> uh, I, I, Dean Malenko was when he came in later. That I, I really enjoyed them a lot. Uh, so that was my that was my favorite faction. My my favorite. Oh yeah, there we go. That's Dean Malenko. Dean Malenko. <laughs> uh, my favorite my favorite tag team, the Steiner brothers. I really oh, like yeah. I really like the Steiner brothers more so Rick than Scott. Okay. That they were my they you were uh, you didn't like the muscle kissing. I didn't like Big Papa Pump later. Yeah, that <laughs> didn't do it for me. There were some fun times and this goes back to like the relationship between my brother and I. Uh the the he was a NWO guy. Oh. And I was I was clearly I was a Sting four horsemen wcw guy and and so that's kind of where we that's that that was a fun rivalry back in the 90s for us that's awesome what about you my favorite tag team definitely the dudley bros (laughs) (laughs) get the tables get the tables uh they were man they were just so much fun to watch so much fun to watch um my favorite faction is obviously DX. Like I came in right at the time where, you know, it was X Pac, Road Dog, Billy Gunn, Triple H, China, mm-hmm. um, and Shawn Michaels added a little after that. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was my. They were just oh man. And there's a documentary out there where they talk about like DX was a real thing. Like they. They formed on their own terms. They talked Vince McMahon into, into making DX a real thing and how they wanted to be like the, the hooligans of the company. They wanted to just, you know, start fires with everyone. They wanted yep. to mess everything up. They wanted to be just the jokesters, the, you know, they wanted to be the punk skaters of WWE, right? And uh, so Vince McMahon loved the idea. They went forward with it. But then they're like real plan commenced. They're like, okay, now that he's letting us do this, we're going to screw with Vince McMahon so hard. And they would just get in so much trouble, but they couldn't do anything because DX was their top rated faction at the time. Yep. Which, which was cool. But uh, you talked about WCW and you're going to love this because at number 25 of all time WrestleMania superstars, Big Daddy Diesel, Kevin Nash. Kevin Nash. I'm surprised he's so low on the list. Yeah, yeah, me too. I'm not even sure if this is in order, but he's number 25 in, in order of, you know what I mean? Um, yeah. Biggest uh, okay. superstars. But uh, number 24, Big Show, of course. Sure. He's got that show on Netflix now where he's like a dad. It's kind of fun. It's interesting. Yeah. 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 It's, it's kind of a kid show. Like it would work like on – you know, Nickelodeon or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ricky Steamboat. We already kind of talked about him. Yep. Kane. Mm. Of course. Hey, while we're doing this, yeah. I'm going to keep track of the ones I've heard of. So, so far I'm one for four. Okay. 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 Owen Hart. Nugget. Yeah. Rest, Rest in peace. peace. Yeah. yeah. Mick Foley. Mankind. Yeah. Uh, my Halloween costume. Ultimate Warrior. Mm. Yep. <laughs> this is definitely this is definitely not in order right here. So yeah, is yeah, I, I don't. This is he was number seven. Three. Who was the other one, Brian? 
Um, Steamboat. I think I've heard of Owen Hart. Okay. And this one. He was early Hart Foundation, so yeah. Yeah. We have, yeah. <laughs> um, Rey Mysterio with the mask. Okay, yeah. I think without his mask was WCW, right? No, no, he saw it as mask. Oh, yeah. really? Really? Yeah. I'm uh, pretty sure when he debuted, he didn't have a mask. He, well, he may not have. That's, that's entirely possible. Yeah. Um, they did that, that three-ring Royal Rumble, 60 men. Oh, the, the stacked on top of each other? No, no. There was three rings. There was, like, one here. It, it looked like a V. Oh, I remember this, yep. And yeah. it was Royal Rumble. And you can go from ring to ring, but as soon as you touch the floor, you're out. Yep. Yeah. Uh, Ric Flair. Woo! <laughs> there we go. Oh, four horse. Yeah, see, there you I, go. I know four. Yeah. yeah. But, and that was Ric Flair's, like, woo, four horsemen. <laughs> uh, of course, Crispin Waugh. Uh, unfortunate the ending there yeah and in the in the picture oh the very next one eddie guerrero mm. rest also rest in peace yeah uh batista okay most of you know him as uh um oh what's Drax the destroyer yep Drax uh, guardians of the galaxy yep guardians of the galaxy uh randy orton that's is it bob orton's son Bob Orton's, yeah, I believe he's Bob Orton's kid, yeah. Cowboy yeah. Bob Orton's son. Yep. Um, Chris Jericho. Y2J. Brian, you've heard of Chris Jericho? You've heard of his band Fozzie. Fozzie? He's the lead singer of Fozzie? No. No? Uh, wow. No, I don't know who that is. Okay, well, you should look him up. He's, he's not actually a bad singer. He's no, not. he's not. not. It's probably a little bit more Aaron Daly style, maybe. Yeah. yeah. But, but definitely a good band. Uh, number 15, Edge, yeah. who just made a comeback. Yep. Uh, 16, John Cena. Everybody mm -hmm. knows John I Cena. got him. I know about him. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah Macho Man Randy Savage. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Slim Jims. <laughs> Classic. Uh, Triple H, Hunter Hearst Helmsley, who's now married to Vince McMahon's daughter. Very smart move. Running WWE right now while Vince yes. McMahon tries some other things and mm. failed with XFL. Um, Kurt Angle. Yeah. Number 20, Rock. The mm. Rock. Number 21, Stone Cold Steve Austin. And Bret Hart. Mm -hmm. Hulk Hogan. <laughs> the Undertaker, yeah, and then uh, Mr. WrestleMania himself, Shawn Michaels. Mr. WrestleMania. Mr. Mm. WrestleMania. <laughs> so yeah, I I knew all of those guys for sure. I think yeah. I had eight. I better than I thought actually. With every one of them, <laughs> they left some off. Honestly, I mean that's you. Oh, you yeah. There's so many. I, that's. I mean, I'm glad to see Ricky Steamboat ended up on there. But mm -hmm. man, there's how's man. he? How's he more than Andre the Giant? Right. Did see, Andre the Giant wrestle in WrestleMania ever? Yeah. Three. Yeah, arguably the best WrestleMania of all time when Hogan beats him. Yep. Yep. Body slammed him. Yeah. Hmm. Wow. Yeah. That sets the the uh, attendance record. 
like 95,000 people saw it happen in, in Detroit. That's crazy. Yeah. Um, anybody picking up on some bitterness in this beer? Uh, as we go. Yeah. Yeah. This is, it's an old style IPA, I would say. So that was, that was one of the things when he met with, when Steve Austin met with Rob Croxall was he's like, look, I like beer, but I don't like the bitterness at the end. Hmm. He's like, okay. And I like IPAs, but I don't like my IPAs super bitter. And so through the hops that they use, they kind of mellowed at the end here. Do we know what the IBUs are on this beer? It doesn't say on the can. I bet we'll find it on the uh, untapped, I suppose. Yeah, we'll find it on untapped. For sure. So the rest of my research, because I knew you guys would do this, wrestling. <laughs> so I was like, okay, I'm going to stay away from that. What does he have to do with barbed wire? Is it, does he have a barbed wire tattoo or what? He got hit in the face with it, I heard earlier. <laughs> yeah. Is that it? It's all uh, kind of a persona. Okay. I, I Yeah, I think barbed wire was just a huge weapon in the Attitude Era. Mm-hmm. And it went on to like 2008. Like whenever the barbed wire was brought out, you knew that somebody was going to lose a lot of blood. And he's from where, Texas? Yes. Yep. Okay. Segway. Barbed wire. I went the history of barbed wire. That's where I did some oh. research. Okay. So... Basically, what, what happened was ranchers and cowboys down in Texas were moving cows up you know, to like Omaha for like the slaughterhouse stuff, right? Doing the ranch stuff and the, uh, the cattle trails and the, just moving herds. And when people started getting free land, like in the 1860s and all that sort of stuff, when all this uh, America like doubled its size, and everybody got 120 acres. Uh, they wanted to protect their land. So they put up all sorts of kinds of fences and they planted spiky plants and all sorts of stuff just to show that this is my area, right? So in the 1860s, so we're coming right after Civil War, um, between 1867 and 1874, there's 200 different patents for what they called spiked fencing. So it was fences that had barbs on them or spikes or whatever to keep people out and animals out because otherwise what was happening was they would drive these huge herds of cattle and they would just eat everything on the way it was free right like there's no there's no lions or property nobody knows what what's what or who's who so you just take all the resources you can as you move further north and east uh and some people did not like that so they make this fencing it's called spike fencing. Um, the first guy that's credited with what they call barbed wire nowadays is a dude named Lucian Smith. And he makes the first prototype. It, so it was like 1867. And this is all done by hand. So you're hand twisting like barbs and wire. You're cutting, you're, you're sharpening. You're doing wow. each one of those by hand. So it takes forever to make it. And it's kind of expensive, and you have to get the the steel, the wire, and all that stuff. Um, in 1874, this Illinois farmer who was in a town, if you're from the farmland, which, Rich, you'll know this name, DeKalb. So DeKalb, Illinois, this guy's from. His name is Joseph Glidden. And he creates a machine that lets you take wire and bend it, and it will do it, like, basically automatically. So what people are doing by hand and tying knots and all that, this machine that he created – and patented um, 
makes it go, you know, like a million times faster. Wow. So by the time his machine is, is in place, he's got a new company. It's the biggest uh, manufacturer of what we would call barbed wire. Um, he's making 3 million pounds a year. So a lot of the, uh, I saw a lot of advertisements online pictures from this time. And they look like circus posters. It was basically saying, here's all the animals that we will keep out of your area. We had like buffalo, because there was still buffalo at that time. Cattle, goats, sheep, whatever. Wolves, that sort of stuff. Um, the other thing uh, I thought was interesting, uh, the Native Americans called it the devil's rope. Because the buffalo that they would follow would get stuck in it, right? And then they would die. They would either get infected or they would get trapped. They couldn't get out and they would, they would basically die of thirst and they would just be waste along these lines. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other thing I thought was interesting, when we see it now, other, other than your wrestling that you talked about, uh, most of the time that we see it, especially in cities, is in things like prisons. You know, like you see razor wire, like when I worked at the state pen, that was everywhere. Um, back in the day, it was used for things like at concentration camps. If you've seen photos of that, it's everywhere. And border crossings. So not even, you know, like United States, but in Germany, East Germany, West Germany, that sort of stuff back in the day. Um, it's basically just a way to keep people out and people see it. And that's a symbol of that. Uh, there is a museum couple different ones. There's one uh, I found that was down in Texas in the Panhandle, kind of right off Highway 66. And they have a whole bunch of different types. There's the National Cowboy and Western Heritage Museum in Oklahoma City, which I'd like to go check out sometime. Mm. I think that sounds pretty cool. They have 8,000 different varieties of barbed wire. So each strand, each barb, has its own patent and name and at that point in their collection they have eight thousand there's more than that out there wow Um, but they have eight thousand in their archives 1300 of them are on display currently and they all have different names kind of like uh hurricanes have names you know um each barb has its own own name and basically whoever created it would name it whatever they wanted and that was kind of very similar to when you brand cattle with your initials or whatever and you see these on, on a fence line, um, you would know that this is, you know, so-and-so's property because of this uh, sign of, of the stuff. That's, the other, that's old man Peterson's property. Cause yeah. that's the Peterson twist or whatever they that's call right, it. That's right. Cause it looked like a beer bottle. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the, they have a, I guess like anything, you can collect this stuff. Yeah. So there's people out there that buy and sell and trade different strands of this. Uh, they have an annual show. At least they did until, you know, pre-corona times. Um, but it was like a, kind of like a swap meet. And it was just for barbed wire. So you'd bring your strands on a board and you would say where it was from, whose ranch, whose farm, whatever, when it was made. Um, there's lots of books that show this. Just like in anything that's collectible, there's price guides and that sort of stuff. The, uh, I didn't write it down, but I remember it was someplace in Kansas that they have like an annual symposium and they're the ones that set the prices. So there's like 10 people on this board and they say, okay, here's what this is worth this year. And this is that. And so it's a small community, hmm. but it's growing in popularity. And uh, some of these strands, just a strand, just with one little barb on it can be worth like three to 400 bucks. Wow. So, you know, 
that's a thing that people are collecting, which I think is, you know, whatever. There's a collection for everybody, I guess. Uh, and then finally, I wanted to do something fun for my research. And we're going to get into Barbed Wire, the movie. Have you seen it? <laughs> have you seen this, Rich? I bet you no, have. No, I don't believe I have. Oh, I've I have seen, not either. I've seen the poster. I've never yes. seen the movie. So this came out May 3rd, 1996, starring vehicle for Pamela Anderson. The reason I thought you might have known about it, because it's a comic book adaptation. Yes. So here, basically the plot is it, very similar in parts to Deadpool. She owns this bar that's like a hot spot for people to come hang out at. Uh, she lives in the last city in the United States that's a free city. So we're in the middle of a second civil war at this time. It takes place in 2017. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's, you know, in the future at the time they made the movie, but probably looks similar to what we're at right now. Moderately uh, timely, yeah. That's... It cost $9 million to make, <laughs> and it brought in $3.8 million. <laughs> so not, not great. Mm. She did, however, win a Razzie Award for Worst New Star. <laughs> so she was the worst actress in a movie, according to the Razzie Awards in 1996. I looked through the list of credit, like everybody in the movie, and there was only one other name of anybody I knew, and it was Clint Howard. So Ron Howard's brother, who's in yeah. all, like a lot of stuff, character actor, he was in this, and he was a guy named Schmitz. I saw online, they, they said it's basically the same plot line as Casablanca. <laughs> it's just, what the whole story will seem ridiculous, but basically some these people have these contact lenses that you can put in so that you can get a retinal scan and they won't know it's really you. You'll think you're somebody else and you can get on this airplane and get out of the last city and get out of the United States. Yep. So they're worth a lot of money on the black market. And she gets hired to protect these people, to get them to the airport, so they can get on the airplane and all that good stuff. And they make it out and she's left behind. That's on her choice. Uh, the soundtrack. This is, there's some interesting folks on here. First song is called Planet Boom uh, by Tommy Lee. I think probably her husband at the time. Yeah. Probably before the infamous tape came out. Mm -hmm. um, Michael Hutchins is on this soundtrack. He was the lead singer for In Excess. In Excess, before he hung himself, yes. That's right. Um, Meat Puppets oh. are on here. Man, that's, if you know who the Meat Puppets are, you're, you're, a, you're a deep grunge fan. That's, that's right. Yeah. Because they were famous because Kurt Cobain liked them, basically. Uh, yeah, yeah. And uh, there's a remix. Uh, the very last song is remix. It's a salt and Peppa track that they helped remix with. Um, there also is a ding, ding, ding recall for us, a cover of Cameo's Word Up oh. on this soundtrack. Hey, hey. And it sold hardly anything. Mm. Imagine that. So that is what I know about barbed wire the movie and barbed wire the actual you know farm implement and barrier device i would have you seen barbed wire no no, no. Okay. i don't so know this was back in those i was we'll see i was 19 so i was doing other stuff i wasn't watching barbed wire yeah, yeah the whole I, appeal of barbed wire uh, i could see that in other places here's what's funny so 96 
I was still in theaters. Like I was still running movie theaters. Yeah. We did not run barbed wire. It was not even like it. No, you're part of the problem. That's why they only made 3.8 million. Look, I didn't book. I didn't book the movies. I just <laughs> ran them. So, well, that's probably good. Cause it sucked well, from what I, from what I know. Mm, okay. So my friends uh, in a prior employment spot, they made a terrible movie club and they only once a month, they would screen just horrendous movies. So they, did uh, uh, what's the one that's like the world's worst one? Ishtar. They made no, not that one, but um, the room or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So they they screened that one once. They screened um, a couple other ones. This is one I know they watched. They watched Barbed Wire. So this doesn't sound like a club I would want to belong to. I don't know. It's I guess it's it kind of did their own mystery science theater with it. So you weren't actually sitting there listening to it. You were just making fun of it and eating snacks and drinking beer. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you what doesn't suck right here. This beer. It's very easy drinking. Very easy. Yeah, very easy. I'm sad that it's all gone. I'm sad that it's, 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 all, it's all gone. And I'll, I'll tell you, I'll, I'm not going to give no spoilers here. Okay. Untapped feels the same way. Oh, oh my. 3,000 check-ins. So 33,000 check-ins. That's a lot. That's a lot. Where do you think we land? I gave you a little bit of a hint. Yeah. Dolan, super fan. Uh, 472. Holy smokes. He's had three of these beers. Holy cow. I'm going to say 3.92. You are are closer. 3.82. Oh, you threw... Okay, you threw me off, though. You, you made it sound like it was unbelievably high. <laughs> well, I, I would have said unbelievably high. Like, not like, yeah, like, yeah. This is, I, this is high, I think, for 33,000 check-ins, 3.82 is a pretty darn good rating. Yeah. It is. For what, honestly, could just be a gimmick beer. Yeah, it doesn't have to be this good. Right. To sell yeah. a can, you know. No. I assume that's why they have. I saw the distribution list. It was kind of all over the place. It didn't really make sense to where or why, uh, but I guess making it in Texas does make sense. Can we drop the link, Dolan, in here to that hot ones where he talks about this beer? Yeah, that's a good idea. That'd yeah. be good because that's the only thing I know about him is from that episode, and I think he made it all the way through. Nice. I would be disappointed if he didn't. That's right. I think he like squirted some of the bottles in his eyes. He smashed them <laughs> together and rubbed it in his face. Yeah. Old school. Fetty rattlesnake. Yeah. The terribly ironic part about all of this. So he, this being a California brewery, him being from Texas, he called. He when he decided he wanted to do this, like he decided, like I want, I want my own beer. He called Texas breweries. And they either said, we don't have the capacity for this, or we're not interested. What? Ooh, there's so many Texas breweries. This is shocking to me. I don't know. Maybe he called three of them. I don't know. But I mean, You can't tell me that one in Houston that makes the Astros beer couldn't do this. Right. Uh, Carbach, that one? Yeah. Yeah. Or Shiner or anybody. Regardless, I'm glad that this brewery ended up doing it because this beer is good. Yeah. <laughs> It really is. It's for what very much could have been just a, a wrestling KFAB beer, like just a, you know, a gimmick. It was pretty darn good. I would drink it again for sure. If you're in El Segundo area, you can call them and order it as a single. You can get a case. You can get a keg. Prices were anywhere from like $6 to $300. 
on their <laughs> website. So depending on how much you want, but you got to go there in person and you got to wait a day. Mm. There you go. Well, I, I, I want to end this one differently than we've ended every other one since, you know, for a while now. Yeah, do I, it. Because that's the bottom line. Because a beer with Atlas said so. Does that no? Brian doesn't know. Don't I don't know what that means, but sure. Sounds good. It was a Steve Austin thing. Steve Austin, that's the bottom line because Stone Cold said so. I would say that's the bottom line because a beer with Atlas said so. Thank you for listening to A Beer with Atlas. Special thanks to our brand team for producing the show. Each episode of A Beer with Atlas is powered by Atlas Medstaff, an industry leader in travel healthcare staffing.